Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I've got that nervousness where I'm smiling because I'm, I'm so apprehensive with excitement. So we're just walking down the Pebble Driveway now, and it's like a big farmhouse, isn't it, Christoph? It's, yeah, it's really big, yeah. It's, it's beautiful, actually. Yeah, it's a beautiful house. It's big, it's beautiful. So, but, but you cannot see them immediately. You have to go around the house. Right, okay. The door is on the off, behind the corner on the right side. Okay. But there's, the gate's open, so there are yeah. cars. So I, there will be somebody. In 2016, 19-year-old Femke van den Driesche was caught with a hidden motor inside her bike at the Cyclocross World Championships, casting the sport of cycling into yet another era of suspicion and uncertainty. No one could be sure how deep this scandal went. Eight years on, we're still not entirely sure what happened that day in Zolder. So myself and Belgian journalist Christoph Muhl have come to Femke's house in the Belgian city of Aalst to see if she will speak to us. We continue walking along the long pebbled driveway. There are lots of cars and then there's looks like there's a pigeon hut as well here on the right. Obviously the infamous pigeon racing. And then there's a lovely brick structure with some wooden doors that lead kind of looks like leading into a farmhouse actually but then we see the front door here on the left so I'm really nervous. <laughs> well let's see. Let's see what happens. We have no idea who will answer and we're even less certain if Femke will speak. We reach the front door and we knock on it. 
Let's try. My heart rate is probably about 150 beats per minute right now. No answer yet. No. Finally, after some wait, the door is answered. Hey, hello. Is there anyone else from the family? The mom? Oh, yeah, you saw it in Franken. It's a housekeeper, and she says she'll ask if someone can come. I think that was the housekeeper or someone, someone who's doing some jobs in the house, cleaning, I guess. Yes. Uh, they closed the door and they uh, said, I'm going to ask if anybody wants to come. Okay. I didn't say my name. No, of course not. This is Christoph's second time here. As the local journalist in Aalst, he was on the scene back in 2016. And he asked Femke about the hidden motor in an interview for the Belgian broadcaster Sporza. Her flat-out denial of any wrongdoing was beamed around the world. I just want Ofemka's responses posed more questions than they answered. After the motor was discovered and the investigation complete, she was banned from cycling for six years and ordered to pay a large fine. As we discovered in episode two, however, Femke never paid the fine and therefore remains banned from cycling. Now that nearly a decade has passed, we're hoping she will finally speak candidly about what really happened. How could she be so careless? We keep on waiting. More than a minute has passed since the housekeeper said she would fetch someone, and still no one's appeared. I look at my watch, impatiently, and then... Hello. Hey. hey. Appearing not from the front door, but popping out under an archway 20 metres away from us, comes a young woman. Unmistakably, it's her. Femke van den Driesche. Wearing a white crop top and beige trousers, her long blonde hair flowing loose, she walks towards Christoph and me, the pebbles crunching beneath her feet. A purposeful, bounding stride slows to a hesitant one. As she gets close to us, she stops. Her smile disappears. She looks inquisitively at Christoph. Then there's a flash of recognition and surprise. I get the sense we were the last people she was expecting to meet today. She listens to Christoph, but she seems reluctant to revisit the story. As she fidgets, remonstrating with her hands, Christoph keeps her talking. As long as she keeps speaking and doesn't head back inside, hope remains that she'll answer our questions. What people think or what their story is, it really doesn't matter to me. And I don't think my story is going to make any difference. It's not going to change the podcast. It will just have an extra story, my story, and that's it. But Femke's version is exactly what this podcast and the cycling world needs. She might want the story to disappear for people to stop talking about it. The fact is, she is the face of a scandal that hangs around the neck of the sport. And now we're here, we just need to keep her speaking. I'm Chris Marshall-Bell, and from Stack, this is Ghost in the Machine. Episode 4, Breaking the Silence.
As Femke shields her eyes from the sun, she listens intently, but it's clear she is tentative about engaging in an interview she sees no point in having. Christoph works on putting her at ease, and as the discussion falls on less controversial ground, she settles into the conversation. I'm relying on Christoph's frequent translations. But Christoph and I know we're on borrowed time. We only have one chance to make this interview count, to get the answers we truly need. Christoph senses the right moment and cuts to the chase. Will there come a day when you will tell the real story or tell a different story? Femke looks directly into Christoph's eyes. She weighs up the question. And then she answers. What do you mean, another story? I've already told the story 10,000 times in 2016. I think I've always told the same story and I think I will always tell the same. I don't feel like telling it again for the 100,000th time. Even now, almost a decade on, Femke is keeping to her story that the bike was not hers, but that of Nico van Mulder, a family friend. Nonetheless, she appears to be warming to the interview, becoming less resistant to our questions, so we press on. Whether I tell my story or not, everyone makes their own story. Those people are allowed to do that. I don't blame them. I do it myself. Who doesn't tell their own story? Ah, yes, it must be that. Did you have a bad feeling after our interview at that moment in 2016? I cannot say it was fun. And today, when I see myself like this, I think, Femme, Femme, why did you do that? Then I really think, if you had just said no straight away, then you wouldn't have all those stupid photos of you crying on the TV and internet. Not really a pretty sight. The picture Femke is referring to is of her crying on national television, her hair tied up in a bun and her cheeks red from the uncontrollable tears. This point about her not looking her best in that interview is something she mentions a few times. Do you miss cycling? Yes, who doesn't miss that? The attention. Which woman doesn't like that, right? Femke seems more regretful about a scrapbook photo in the press than she is the humiliation of being the only rider to be caught with a doped bike. An offence that instantly ended her promising sporting career. Does it really all just come down to appearances for her? There's frustration that she's not really answering the questions head on. Christoph then passes over to me. But this will be the only time I'll ever be face to face with Femke van den Driesche. I know I have to take my chance. I know you said you wouldn't change your story and I respect that, but can you say seven years on that that motor was not yours and you had nothing to do with that? Are you still able to say that? Femke answers with the occasional English word, but mostly sticks to Flemish. She stays with that version of the story because that's what happened. It is so. It is like I told it. That's what she says, right? Is there any shame, even though you say that you were not guilty, is there any shame about what happened? It's not funny. How should I say it? I won't. It is what it is. I won't change my story. She likes her life. She loves her life. 
Femke is insistent. She's moved on. But your life has not been negatively impacted. Like, you look super happy, you look super healthy now. I, I, like, yeah. you, are, you are happy with life? But uh, it's made me stronger. It made yeah. me stronger. Yeah? Yeah, my mother but, immediately yeah, said, come and join my dad's roofing company. And that helped me a lot. To forget everything. Um, it has been very good. We are not a family that keeps complaining as it doesn't help, but it's not that you gain sympathy points with such an attitude. I'm not going to point fingers at anybody. That's life. Life happens, and right now I'm working again. It's good. She consistently holds this line. C'est la vie. Life goes on. But Femke's banned from cycling for life unless she pays the fine of 20,000 Swiss francs or 18,000 euros. Would she ever consider paying it? No, no. I don't think there are many people that would pay such an amount. So that's it confirmed. Femke van den Driesche will never return to cycle racing. Some people would have gone perhaps on a different path after living my situation, but okay. There are also worse things, a lot worse that can happen. I'm not speaking for everybody, but I think the majority of people suffering from this kind of difficulty should find the energy to say, fuck you, I'm going to fix it. I'm going my own way. There are worse things. And you are not public enemy in Alst. No one looks at you badly or thinks you were the cheater or you were a bad person. In the beginning with Carnival, there were some stories here and there, some gossip. My mum and my brothers told me straight away, let's go to Alst Carnival. And that helped a lot. We had a good time. A reminder, in episode three, we learned that the Alst Carnival is the city's biggest party, held in February every year. Christoph told us how it's a three-day celebration where politicians, world events and headline news are mocked and derided. Femke's story, as you would expect, was one of the main talking points in 2016. I'm still astounded that Femke had the courage and the brazenness to attend, just one week on from her international ignominy. But she confirms she was indeed there with her two brothers, and that she even painted cat whiskers onto her cheeks. It does indeed look like the whole affair, as she's just told us, really did make her stronger. And, uh, but, yeah, there were some people that came to me to confront me personally. Two people did at the Alst Carnival, and my brothers just shielded me, responding, Really? Is this really necessary today? But actually, if they're... 10,000 people that go to Alst Carnival? It was not that bad. Okay, behind their computers, they all make fun of it, but I just think, let them do it. Alst is a good city. It's funny because it shows you how people are. Behind your back, behind a screen, they gossip, they talk shit, they badmouth you, but once they see you as a person, they start thinking differently. This is when Femke is most revealing, most animated. She speaks passionately about not letting the detractors beat her down. And it's admirable. Many other people would have been destroyed by the vitriol and abuse. The fearlessness Femke must have had to attend a public celebration where she was the butt of all jokes is extraordinary. It reveals a hell of a lot about her character. As Femke begins to edge back towards the house, it's clear our time with her is coming to an end. My feelings are mixed. 
I think for my own selfish reasons and for the sake of the show, I was wanting some sort of revelation, a confession, and some small deviation from the explanation she gave back in 2016. But truly, it's really pleasing that she does not appear to have been too negatively affected by the media circus. She is smiling, happy, and has seemingly moved on. I didn't really expect such an outcome. But some people might not like this. There's been some candidness, some laughs and smiles, but not one single apology. The sport continues to grapple with the threat of motor doping and is absolutely desperate to avoid another case like Femke's. There's almost a sense that Femke was, and still is, oblivious to the damage her mistake caused the sport and to those within her cycling circle, such as Rudy B and Josh Smets. Or if she is aware, she just doesn't want to confront it. Does she even follow cycling today? Or is she completely detached from it? And I find cycling super beautiful for looking to the Tour de France or the cyclocross. I love it for to see what my friends say always. I always say, I don't know anymore, but I look at it. She always says, I don't watch anymore, but actually... I do. Still do. Yeah, yeah, I do the wash and I'm looking to Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I make food and I see always to the cyclocross or to the to, to the France. This yeah. Who is your favorite cyclist now? Uh Lara, no. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> you cannot say that. <laughs> A quick explainer as to why this is so funny. For many in cycling, the name most commonly linked to motor doping alongside Femke's is Fabian Cancellara's. In episode 2, we spoke about his win at the 2010 Tour of Flanders, which, many allege, was made possible by a motor. He is there, man, but Cancellara is just ridden away at the moment. Claims he always denies, in the strongest terms possible. Well, it's big enough that the cameras can't see it. We tried to contact him for this documentary, but didn't get a response. And that's kind of understandable. It must be so disheartening to have to defend your life's work when the evidence stacked up against you amounts to so little. Not a shred, in fact. But back to Femke. Christoph, who also lives in Alst, tells Femke that they both raced each other in a five-kilometer running race after she was caught. And Femke won. Did you do a few like races? She said, and now and then they said it was with a motor in my running shoes. But that's she's cheeky, funny, an embodiment of the Al spirit we've heard so much about. Everyone should be should laugh a little bit more with himself. The 27-year-old Femke has distanced herself from the 19-year-old caught in the eye of the storm. She tells us that she's working in the family's roofing business alongside her two brothers, Niels and Din. Niels, you will remember from episode 3, was previously suspended from cycling for a doping offence. Femke tells myself and Christoph that not only has she moved on, but she's settled into a whole new life. She even recently became a mother to twins who are currently asleep in the large house she shares with her family. I also have two children. Yes, I just had twins. They're not even three months old yet, so it is really hectic. Twins, my God. A boy and a girl. The teenage girl who is synonymous with the term motor doping is now pouring her energy into raising twins. Her face lights up whenever she mentions them. Christoph translates to me that they were both born prematurely, 
but are they are both healthy. They even sleep all night. Yes. Yeah, super, yeah. So you have two perfect babies? Yeah, yeah, unbelievable. <laughs> but yeah, perfect babies, I know, for the moment. Okay. And you still live here? In your the image the world has of Femke in 2016 can't withstand the reality of who she is now. A proud, contented mother with altogether different priorities. We've been speaking for half an hour. Femke's laughed a lot. She's even patted Christoph on the back, as if they were old chums. But it's clear for her that the chapter is very much closed. She will not revisit it. Christoph and I came for answers. Nobody we speak to who is familiar with this case seems willing to believe that the bike was Nico's. And yet her explanation hasn't changed from 2016. It's disappointing. I wanted more from our encounter. But seeing her standing in front of me, it's hardly Lance Armstrong's go-to line of I never tested positive. More, I can only repeat what I said back then. Femke van den will not change her story. As we say our goodbyes and thank her for speaking, she's the one who has the last request. Oh, by the way, use beautiful pictures this time, eh? Zullen we nog the selfie pakken? Ja, dat is goed. We snap a selfie together. Oh, oh, oh. Oh, oh, oh. This time, she looks significantly happier than January 2016. Christoph and I walk down the driveway and turn away from the house. Okay, super. Okay, thanks, While it has been reassuring to find Femke doing well and not bearing heavily the burden of her damaged reputation, because she is still sticking to her story that the bike wasn't hers. We still don't know how the doped bike carelessly ended up in her pit. If we had any suspicions about the truth in her statement, after talking to her, it seems Femke either doesn't want to reveal anything or, more probably, just simply isn't the person who would know. But there is one person left in her inner circle who might know. Nico van Mulder, the supposed owner of the bike where the motor was found. 45 dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. 
After she was caught with a motor in her spare bike at the 2016 Cyclocross World Championships, Femke van den Driesch's defence to the UCI was that the bike in question belonged to family friend Nico van Mulder, a claim he corroborated. But as we heard in episode 2 from Belgian Cycling's technical director Josh Smets, it was a claim that didn't withstand a great deal of scrutiny. When challenged to prove it was his bike, Nico appeared to falter. Nico has never spoken publicly about what happened. We've never had his version of events. Buoyant after meeting Femke, Christoph and I are now optimistic that Nico too might speak to us. We conduct a quick search online and find his name linked to a chip shop in a village not far from Alst. It's worth a try. Maybe he's hitting the on button on the deep fat fryer right now. At the very least, we're guaranteed some fritz and meal. Get in there. Okay, so we're just outside. It's actually a house, isn't it? Yeah, it it's... looks like a normal house. And the logo on the... Just above the house, yeah, yeah. it says... The pasto it doesn't look very new anymore. No, it doesn't, to be honest. I'm not very confident in that there will be him, but anyway. We'll try. Maybe he lives here. Maybe somebody maybe. else. Maybe we can check on the door if there is Van Mulder. Yeah. Christoph presses the doorbell. The man who comes to the door tells us that he's the partner of Nico's daughter and that he'll go and get Nico, but we're not holding our breath. I think the son will come out and say he, don't, he doesn't yeah. want to talk. Okay, but then the door opens again and a small, returned, balding man appears. Instantly, I recognise his face from the pigeon racing photos. It's Nico van Mulder. Hallo, hey Nico. He flashes a tight smile at us and shakes our hands. Nico starts with Christoph in Flemish, and although he's welcoming, he seems on edge. He's animated, bobbing around on the porch, almost pigeon-like. I'll paraphrase this first part of the conversation. Nico tells Christoph that he now lives in Thailand for most of the year, and we're lucky to have caught him in Belgium. He has always turned down interview requests before, and there have been many. But today, Femke messaged him. The fact she spoke with us gives him the confidence to do the same. So once Christoph passes over to me, first question. Nico, how did a motor end up in Femke's spare bike in the race pits? Oh, who can I say this? Um, the few days before the, the day, from the, the Zolder, What uh, follows is a rather complex account of personal circumstances surrounding Nico's involvement. He explains that his diabetic daughter was admitted to Antwerp Hospital in late January 2016 for seven days, during which time he returned home only once a day to feed his pigeons. He was stressed and befuddled during this time and not thinking straight. Two days before the World Championships, with his daughter back at home, Nico went to Zolder to do a recce of the course with Femke's brother, Niels. Nico and Niels would regularly do this before most races, but it's worth remembering that Niels was serving an anti-doping suspension for amphetamines at this point, and should not have been anywhere near the circuit. Nico and Niels finished their training, and Nico claims he put his bike in Femke's converted horse box. This is his explanation for why the bike was at the course on the day of the race. And, yeah, the day... Yeah, I don't know who it come, but normally my, my bike stay always in my car. And, and my daughter, she was with me there. And, yeah, 
Nico looks stressed, in pain, as he remembers what happened. I put my my bicycle on the bus, and I take shower, and Fem she do the clothes on other other room, and uh, I come back, I see not my bike, and I not think on my bike. Yeah. And and yeah, I I I think my bike is in my car, but I forgot and and. The other man, the mechanic, he put the bicycle inside in the bus and then she go to the race. I go with my daughter for look. Always with thinking my bike sit in my car and yeah, was in the bus. Eh? And the, the other man, he, 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 he changed, he missing. Yeah? I should come in here. What Nico was saying is that he thought his bike, the one with the motor in, had been returned to his car, but in fact it was accidentally left in Femke's converted horse box. Somehow, he didn't notice its absence from the back of his car. That bike, a Willier, was the same size as Femke's racing bike and also had Femke's name printed on it. Femke's mechanic assumed, for obvious reasons, that the bike in the converted horse box was Femke's, and that's how it ended up in her possession during the race. You can understand why the world found this account so baffling. But first things first. How did the motor get in the bike? Did you put the motor in the bike? I know, I, I know it was from uh, Vivax Assist. So did you put it into the bike and where did it go? Yeah, uh, I, I uh, buy one, uh, uh, who can I say? Uh, Nico says that he bought the cyclocross bike from Femke after the end of the 2014-15 racing season, intending to use it himself. Every evening, after closing the fruit shop, he would work on installing the motor in the bike. After when I finished the restaurant, one hour, two hours working, and I change the battery uh, that stay in the bus, I do the battery uh, off, I put everything, and then I, I put it in seri, in, in small one, yeah. and then I put it in, in the bicycle. He installed the motor, he says, and because he was no longer fit enough to train alongside Femke. When you're not training and you not leave, yeah, then you cannot follow. Eh? And, and yeah, we're training and then I think, oh, I cannot follow. Yeah, what, what can I do? Yeah. And, and then, yeah, I, I try this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, we go training. On he says the motor did the trick and allowed him to keep up. A little bit, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, then I can follow. <laughs> Yeah, can I follow and then I say, okay, okay, no problem, drive, drive. <laughs> yeah, and, and for me it was happy, but yeah. Setting aside the question of why Nico wanted to train on a woman's bike much too small for him, there is an even greater problem with his account, a problem of chronology. The bike, I discover later from the UCI, was not manufactured until the late summer of 2015. Nico claims he bought it from Femke the season before. I can't ask Nico about this inconsistency, as I'm not yet aware of it. But I do know that he was unable to locate the yon switch. I spoke with someone who saw the bike, and they said to you, show us how to use this bike, yeah. you know, how do we turn on the motor, yeah. and you did not know. Yes, yeah, well, but that's, that's the problem. Uh, the man, he said to me before, uh, the man from the UCA, I, 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 I forgot the name, but I see the face. And he said, oh, it's not your bike, it's not your bike, cannot, cannot. I said, yes, it's my bike. Uh, yeah, okay, let me see. 
uh, where, where you put the motor on. And then I was thinking, uh, what do you want? Nico loses his way here. He struggles to give me a coherent answer to this question. It's like he's tripping over his words. Perhaps he knows there's no answer that's going to satisfy fans of a tainted sport. Does he have an answer to the claims that Femke used the bike in previous races, such as the Koppenberg Cross that we heard about in episode 3? After the race, well, after the bike got found, people were then going through Femke's results and saying, she was a cheat here, she was a cheat here. There is the famous video of her on the Koppenberg, where Femke is clearly very fast. And people say that that was evidence she yeah. was riding that bike. Yeah, it's cannot want... I, I have... Uh, when when uh, What you say now... I was with my daughter to Tenerife. I, I can let's see the, the flight ticket that I stay in Tenerife. And you had that bike? The door. Yeah. That bike was in Tenerife? Yeah. Do you, yeah. I was in Tenerife. Would you still have the Once flight I, ticket I, I now? The bicycle race on, on television in the bar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was with my daughter there. Yeah. yeah. I was not in Belgium today. I really appreciate you speaking Nico doesn't show us the flight ticket, but he says he was in Tenerife with the bike that had the concealed motor in it on November the 1st, 2015. The day of that infamous Koppenberg cross race where people I've spoken to believe Femke used the bike. It's impossible to verify the claims that Femke used the bike in various races. As I mull over what Nico is telling us and continue to curse the lack of chips, I recall what we've heard. Nico claims that the bike was his, that he installed a motor to be able to keep up with Femke during her training rides, and that he accidentally left the bike in Femke's converted horse box two days before the World Championships. She was never meant to ride it, he says. Most people I speak to familiar with the case at the UCI didn't believe this version of events. But just like Femke, Nico hasn't changed his story in the intervening years. But has this holding the denial line worked out for him? Has he, like Femke, been able to move on with his life? Can I ask how it affected your life? I asked Femke the same question. How did it affect your life? I do not expect the response he gives me. He tells me that the first two years were very difficult. I have here a business in a restaurant. I stop directly. I do not open. Not straight after the World Championship? And you never opened again? Never. Why? Uh, oh, many people, uh, she come to here. Uh, many people, she sent me on messenger that uh, she, I'm Batman, she go kill me, I'm not good. And, and yeah, yeah, I, I have to not stay on my telephone. I, I, I not delete. I can let's see, but I... Can we see some of... So people send you some... Yeah, but I'm not, I don't know the peoples. It's yeah. far away. And she said, oh, you Batman, why you do that? You, uh, We go kill you. And, and oh. yeah. But, and the first two years was not so easy for me. I come never outside in the day, only in the night. I, I go not to chop, never. No, never, 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 never. But... That's fascinating because Femke said to us that she was not the enemy. People did not, people did not and do not hate hate Femke, but people hated you. Yeah, yeah. 
I was the Batman. Eh? Do you understand why people thought that you were the Batman? I can understand it. Uh, yeah, it's stupid that the bicycle stay there, and I understand. Somebody not believe, somebody think. Nico's story may be far fetched, but it's clear that his involvement, whatever exactly it was, had a heavy impact on him. He looks sad, defeated. After hearing a few stories, I don't mind admitting I was a little bit afraid to meet Nico. I expected an aggressive, burly figure. But in front of me is a gentle, vulnerable man. One who looks completely broken. Many people say, look to me and, and she, she, angry to me. And, and people that come every week here in the restaurant, when I see in the, in the supermarket, she not talk, nothing, she not look. That's not funny. And, and then I think, yeah, okay, it's my fault that the bicycle stay there, but... Yeah. Was Femke ever angry with you or not? Uh, no, we talk uh, directly, but also before we always never lied. She never lied to me. I'm never lied to there to her about everything, about the world, I in the life, everything, and we talk about the problem. And she say also okay, okay. What, what can she do and what can I do? Yeah, nothing. Eh? A reminder, Nico is the best friend of Femke's father, Peter. This is why they were so close. Did, did you feel, so people hated you, you felt bad. Did you feel guilty for Femke because this was her cycling career finished? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that we, 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 we talk many times, uh, hours, days. I say also to her, Sorry, sorry, what, 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 what can I say more, say more of, of sorry? Huh? It, it's too late. Eh? As we finish up, the conversation turns to his beloved pigeons. It's the first time he looks genuinely happy, full of life. There's a big smile on his face. Was, were you ever to, able to make good money from pigeon racing or was it just a hobby? Just something you did and something you enjoyed? Uh, before I was uh, racing uh, with bicycle, and yeah, I was every time very nervous when I not can win. And I come home and then, yeah, my clothes are put in the house and, and I, I can do nothing. <laughs> Always, uh, and then my doctor, he say, put a, a little loft, one meter to one meter, six pigeons. When you come home, put you on the chair, sit, give the pigeons food, and after 30 minutes, one hour, you come outside and you relax. And yeah, I can do my clothes on the wash machine. I can clean my bicycle and so begin. And then you stop with bicycle race and then you race with pigeons. Eh? <laughs> well, that's a therapy technique I've never heard before. Install a pigeon loft and all of life's stresses will just fly away. While Femke's life certainly hasn't been ruined, I'm not so sure I can say the same about Nico's. He was ostracised by everyone he knew, told to stay away from bike races and social events. He was, in his own words, the bad man. He received death threats. He wouldn't go shopping until late at night. Such was his fear. In the end, it all became too much, and he fled to Thailand to start afresh. It's not at all what I expected to hear. 
I feel very sympathetic towards the experiences he's had to endure. But there is frustration too. Femke's and Nico's answers do little to satisfy me. I keep coming back to the name and the European stars on the bike. I keep coming back to the button. I find the picture that they both paint unlikely. But there's one final twist. One that comes straight out of the box of surprises. After chatting for a while on the porch, Nico invites us inside. He offers us a selection of soft drinks. Both Christoph and I opt for Fanta. And then he goes over to a mantelpiece. He bursts into a big smile as he shows us a card announcing the birth of Femke's two twin babies. Christoph and Nico then chat for 20 minutes in Flemish. I try and fail to follow their conversation. But just as Christoph finishes up, he flashes me a raised eyebrow. It's a listen-up kind of gesture, one that says, hey, there's something important for you here. Can you tell it in English? I'm just going to say, there were some people who contacted you afterwards. So some of the cyclists, maybe professionals, contacted you for help with putting a motor in a bike? Yeah, many many riders, they come on my door for ask. And I said to everybody, no. Um, and are we talking professional cyclists at a World Tour level or at a continental level? The World Tour level is the Premier League of Cycling, while the continental level is the third tier. They're mostly semi-pros. You don't have to say names, but are we talking at the highest of level of cycling? On this question, Nico is silent. How many are we talking? Are we talking 2, 5, 15, 85? More of 50. 50? And what would they ask you? For to do. And do you think more people have been putting motors into bikes at a professional level of cycling? The moment uh, I go many years not to bicycle racing, nothing anymore, nothing, nothing. Uh, Also, sometimes I do the door open, but I say, sorry, cannot help you. And then she go. Why would you not help? I don't want uh, that she do uh, stupid things with other riders. Uh, I do, I am not racing, and I do it for myself. But when you do in racing, then you do not good with the other riders. Eh? We were just about to leave, but suddenly Nico has dropped a bombshell. He claims that, in the days and weeks after Femke was caught, around 50 cyclists knocked on his door asking him to install motors in their own bikes. He says he never helped any of them, but he's keeping tight-lipped on whether some were professional. When I ask him, he just flashes a hard smile. It's hard to gauge what the truth is. But why would he lie about this? Maybe, after all, Femke shouldn't be the name that springs to mind when we talk about motor doping. But instead, she's just the one unlucky small fish to have been caught. Just how many cyclists have cheated with a motor?
Moi, la montée de Sepkos, l'accélération de Sepkos dans le tour il y a deux jours. The fact is, I think we're looking here at a situation where you need eternal vigilance, as you do with doping. There'll always be people who are prepared to cheat. There'll always be new things coming along. For me, it is sure that it had been used in the last five years. I'm quite sure. We have seen this year some very small and powerful system hidden in the wheel, in the rear wheel of the bike. But we have any evidence of the use of those technologies. You've been listening to Ghost in the Machine. New episodes will be released every week. Do make sure you subscribe to the show so that you never miss a new episode. Ghost in the Machine is a stack production. It is presented by me, Chris Marshall-Bell, the podcast's general classification contender. It was written by myself and David Bradford, the sports director of the series. Sound design is by Tom Worley, the podcast's lead-out man. It was produced by Pete Donaldson, the road captain. A special thanks to super domestique Christoph Muhl. And a thanks also to the three Swanyers, Finn Ranson, Charlie Morgan and Katie Baxter. Chapeau. Ghost in the Machine is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creative Network. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.